Welcome to the Conscious Caravan podcast. I'm Jonathan. And my name is Torbjörn. And this is the podcast for all you people out there wanting to live more conscious lives. All right, guys. So today we're here with Lorraine Sharp, who does camps where she trains horses and sometimes people also. <laughs> is that is that fair to say, Lorraine? That's kind of accurate. And also, interestingly, um, my surname is actually Barnfield, um, which is very appropriate considering all I do is mess around with horses. And, Was it uh, Barnfield? Barnfield, yeah. <clears throat> and, oh, right. uh, and my maiden name is Sharp. But, um, but yeah, I've uh, because I've chosen to uh, remove myself from my family, I am refusing also to go back to my maiden name. So, so there you That's... go. That's an interesting subject already. That's, we can definitely <laughs> go into that. Uh... <laughs> so I actually, I, I have very, I mean, I don't, this isn't like a hard and fast rule, but I very often, when I'm talking to conscious people, there is often some part of the family they're not talking to. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the thing that I, I seem to uh, experience a lot. So I I think that's possibly something to do with what we were talking about earlier is about choice it's about who you choose to be and um and I find that quite often somebody else has made a choice for us in childhood and uh and therefore you get to a point where you grow away from those people or you don't want to be like them or you feel the need to change for yourself to be able to pursue what it is that you want to pursue. So, so I think that's why people walk away and grow up. And, uh, and I don't, I don't know how, what you guys believe. Um, but I believe that we choose our parents before we're born and we, we choose the people who are going to, help us become who we are meant to be in this life and um yeah i can fully understand why i chose my parents and now choose to walk away from them but it served me well can i can i ask you then lorraine if you say you believe in that we choose our parents before we're born how does that coincide with walking away from them <laughs> that's a good so, question so because i think that So for me, I had to be treated in a certain way that would help me to help horses and help other people in order for me to grow and become who I am. And and as I have become who I am, I've discovered that actually what my parents continued to do was was too damaging. It was too harsh for me yeah. to carry on the work that I am doing. I mean, I suppose it's about judgment. It's about non-acceptance. Um, it's about them seeing me for the five-year-old child that they still think I am. Oh, yeah. You know, refusing to let me grow up. Um, and and all, <laughs> I suppose the interesting thing is as well, um, so I have had a lot of counselling throughout my life. And the first, the very first counselling session I had, um, 
she said to me, you've spent so much time trying to become, sorry, trying not to become your parents. You have no idea who you are. Right. And that was when things started to change. You know, I, I had to go for counseling because I had a daughter and I didn't know how to be a parent because I did not want to be the parent that, you know, my parents had been to me. And it started me on a whole journey of understanding that, well, it's never stopped, to be honest. You know, it's um, it's it's the same today as it was was back then. I'm just forever discovering who this person is that I'm becoming because of, of that life I had when I was a child. So, Yeah, and I want to say that there's, in my opinion, the, the greatest gift you can, can give to the world is to take all that trauma that you're the generational trauma from your family, take all that and then work on ending it with you and not reproducing it on your own children. Because what the, what scientists are saying now is that the trauma is even in our genes. So that means that we're looking at humans have been around for a while now. We're looking at potentially hundreds of thousands of traumatic memory that just keeps being shifted to the next generation, both through behavior, but also they say through through genetics. Mm. So to me, it's the the most praiseworthy thing you can do is to be like, you know, I'm going to try and, and make this stop with me because the thing about trauma is it accumulates mm. almost always. So it gets worse. And that's also why I think we have so much, we have so much um, pain and dissatisfaction in the world today because people they grew up with such a huge burden of trauma right off the bat stuff that they, it didn't even come from their lives. Mm. And, and I suppose that is the point of, you know, that is why parents parent the way they do, you know, because of what happened to them. You know, I mean, I, yeah. I know that my father had a horrendously traumatic childhood, you know, um, a couple of head injuries caused by violence or an accident. Um, you know how these things are going to affect you, aren't they? The and I and I, it's not about it's not about making excuses as to why people behave a certain way. I think that you either come to a conclusion that you cannot carry on like this, or you live in a kind of blissful ignorance that suits you. You know, and if that's I mean, it's it's really interesting, actually, because my sister and I had a conversation. Oh, we just lost connection there. Um, so my sister and I had a conversation about if one of our children decided to not speak to us, how we would go out of our way to make it OK. And neither of my parents have done that. You know, I mean, the most I've had is a, a couple of emails and um, and the re the final straw came through COVID when the pair of them were trying to blackmail me into having my vaccination. And again, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I am completely anti-vaccination. I am, I think the whole COVID thing was a, um, an experiment and we were the, we were the rat labs, sorry, even the lab rats <laughs> who were involved in that. Um, and, uh, I suppose in order for me to be me, I needed to get their voices out of my head all the time. And 
it was very, very hard while they were in my life. And I, before all this happened, I'd been coming to that conclusion. I needed to, I needed to walk away. And then my father sent me an email saying, when, not if, but when you die from COVID, I hope you are not going to leave the mess behind this. I know you will for your daughter to sort out. And, um, and if you do, I will be down to slaughter all of your horses and your dogs. Jesus fucking Christ. And I, I must have read that email seven or eight times because, and it, and it breaks my heart to say this. I love my dad. I really do. But for him to say that to me shows he doesn't understand me. He doesn't understand my daughter. My daughter would be devastated. You know, our animals, I mean, she doesn't live with me anymore. She's 24, 25, sorry. Um, and, uh, you know, but if that happened to her, she would be, you know, it would be bad enough she'd lost me, never mind losing all our animals as well. And she's more than capable of picking up whatever mess it is that I'm going to leave behind. You know, so it just shows a complete lack of, of understanding of both of us. And... And I just wrote back to him and I said, you need to forget you ever had a second daughter because I cannot deal with that. And I, you know, I would not, <clears throat> I would not choose to have a friend in my life who spoke to me like that and who thought exactly. so badly of me. So why would I choose to have a family member in my life who, who did the same, right. you know, and, and, and I think that's, you know, this is this is one of the weird things about every time I talk to you, Toby, and stuff comes out of my mouth that I never expect to. <laughs> we end up talking about things that I just think, whoa, that wasn't on the agenda when I was thinking about this conversation. But I think this is this is the point, isn't it? Is that you know it's it's having conversations with people who are they look much more deeply into things that brings out this passion it brings out this consciousness i guess of you know we're not we're not just going to accept things the way they are we're just not because it doesn't have to be like that and and again this goes back to we have a choice in life every single moment of every single day we are making choices right and i think that you know you can you can choose to be abused or or bullied or whatever you want to call it by people or you can choose to find a better way and believe me i have tried and tried and tried to communicate with my parents in such a way that you know we could we could heal some of this stuff um but there comes a time when you just go well i'm sorry but you know relationships are a hundred percent each person's responsibility and if they're not prepared to take it, why am I breaking my neck trying to trying to get them to take some responsibility for for their relationship with me? You know, and it's um, my my parents are constantly surprised by everything that I do. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, I'm so surprised that you managed to do that. Why is that? Because I'm still five years old. Oh yes, that'll be why then. <laughs> so, yeah. So. Yeah, so so I think that's what it's about. It's about you know I made I made my choices, which neither of them approve of, in any way, shape, or form. I'm sure, um, 
but I'm happy and I don't think either of them are and I choose happiness over most things if I'm honest I choose it over money I choose it over in the nicest possible way hurting people's feelings because you know if I if to be happy I can't be around certain people then I have to make that choice for myself you know it's it's taken quite a lot to survive this world and uh, now that I am doing I know why I am doing and I know what led me there so why would I choose to go back yeah and I'm, I'm really happy you bring this up because a lot of conscious people pretty much everyone I've talked to has the issue that there there's there are people in their family that are expressing disapproval or you know you even have things that are downright abuse and so when you talk about this, this is important because a lot of a lot of our listeners are gonna either they have they have experienced this or they're experiencing right now and a lot of them are also unfortunately going to allow it to happen because they still like i know with with my mother i looked for her approval many years after i should have known that it, it isn't that she didn't want to give it she didn't have it Mm-hmm. It, it was never she didn't have it to give <laughs> she never i thought she was withholding something from from me but she didn't have it so why was i waiting for it but i was i was just hoping for it and i think another thing is that if you were put into if anyone was put into a room of 30 random people they wouldn't expect to get along with all of them and just think it was a, a big happy family and the thing about family is that family is just 20 or 30 random people. And there's no guarantee that these have the same values, that they're on the same vibration. There's no guarantee at all that your family is somehow well fit to be the people you want in your life. If you have some of your family that is like that, that's a wonderful stroke of luck. But they're just random people bound together by genetics. And so we kind of have to understand, like you said, that it's really important who we allow into our lives. And it's such what you said was what you said was one of the things that really made me distance myself from some people in my family. And that was like, I asked myself if this person was not my family member, would I want them in my life? And I was like, hell no, I wouldn't let this person anywhere near me. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, then why am I spending time with this person? If their energy gets me down, if I, I don't like their values, if everything about them is is just a, a negative influence in my life, right? Mm. And I think it's such an important subject for, for conscious people because I've never met a conscious person who hadn't experienced this to some degree. And a lot of them is like a lot of the ones I'm talking to now, you know, not talking to their parents or they're trying to keep the peace or they're they're keeping a distance they're trying to in some way to deal with the fact that their parents are unconscious they're very very conservative in their views not necessarily in a political way they're just they're just not willing to change their views or update them or new information or anything right mm-hmm. so i think this, this is a, it's a huge subject and it really is like and there's a and i think everyone i think jonathan we jonathan we talked about this as well. I think John, Jonathan is more lenient. He's more willing to give people more chances and all this stuff. And I think that's, I think that kind of shows that 
we all deal with it differently, but I think we all have to, we all have to, no matter what our temperament is, it's we have to make some boundaries around the people that are, that drain us. Uh, Jonathan, maybe you can, maybe you can talk a little bit about your view on it, because I think you're a little bit more, you're a little bit more willing to give people a chance, right? When it comes to like family. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm, I'm, from my personal view, I would like to also ask you some questions, Lorraine. Um, I'll just briefly talk about, talk about me for a second. Yes, my, my view on this is that, um, that I, I also, choose, I also believe that we, we are born into, like before we are born, like our, family or our parents you could say the people were yeah who will be our parents uh, are chosen at that point in time um everyone's got a different belief around that and that's maybe that's that's very uh okay as is, well is that your belief that is my belief yeah yeah um and saying that i also see that in my life as well it hasn't always been easy <laughs> with the parents that I have, and it's been challenging, and it's been there's been a lot of um, a lot of joy and a lot of pain, and uh, and you know I, I'm ultimately I'm at the point of like you know it's about somewhat of acceptance, and for me acceptance is different to tolerance. So it's like you know you don't like tolerate like you know people often confuse the two with you know tolerating somebody's actions or whatever. Um, or tolerating that they treat you in a certain way, and that's that's not at all what I mean. What I mean by yeah, what, and what I mean by acceptance is like accepting that like that is a part of your past. That is a part of what has happened to you, or the you know trauma, for example, or the um, you know you can't you can't change the way people have treated you. Um, but you can you can give space and make room for accepting that that's happened, and then choose like in this moment now to act in the way that you choose to. And I think you touched on that beautifully, Lorraine, with like something changed in you to wake up to like okay now now something needs to change, and I don't even know who I am because I've just been running away from my parents or their actions or the way they behave, but I don't know truly who I am. And how I want to show up for my mm. for my child as a mum, and um, so I, I'm actually really curious to know if you from you, Lorraine, how, what did you do to kind of go into yourself in that way to find to explore your yourself and your conscious choices and to to kind of start that path, you can say. So. The whole. So, so the first thing that happened was I became a mother and a single mother at that, which was also a conscious decision. Um, but actually, I, I was working in a school and uh, I had a horse and a house to run and was constantly broke. Uh, I was doing 60 odd hours a week and still trying to look after everything else. And... Uh, one day I found myself standing at the side of a road um, mm -hmm. waiting for uh, this massive bus to reach up, reach some speed, shall we say, so I could walk out in front of it. 
And the most shocking thing to me was my daughter was four years old at the time. No, she wasn't. That's a lie. She was six years old at the time. And um, and I didn't think about her once. I didn't think about my horse. I didn't think about family, the dogs, and these things are my life, you know, and they never, ever entered my head. I was so fixated on, I just want to die right now. I cannot do anything else. And then as I started to run towards this bus, one of the lads that I used to teach at school was standing on the other side of the road. And he, got, he, sh- he went, you're all right, miss. And I thought, oh, my God, I can't do that in front of him. That was the only thing that stopped me. And and it's probably the reason that I'm not seriously injured, dead, whatever, uh, now. And, and I think one of the most profound things about that was he was called Justin. So he was just in time. <laughs> just in time. <laughs> and it was like, it was... It was, and and when I when I got to the other side of the road, he said to me, he says, "Miss, are you all right?" He's like, "You're shaking, and you're a really funny colour." And I just remember thinking, "Walk away, pull yourself together. Do not talk to this lad because you could scar him for life with what is going on in your head." And and it was then, I. I think I think prior to that I'd started to have counseling because I didn't know how to be a parent that was definitely when my mm. daughter was 4 um because I was uh 32 at the time but I I guess a lot of it was to do with I was I was completely off the rails when I was a kid yeah. and uh, all I wanted was a horse. I started. I was introduced to horses when I was three or four, and started riding when I was six. And then was always told I could never have a horse because the first thing that would go if we were broke, and we were destined to be broke forever, according to my mother, which is another thing that is instilled in my brain. Um, right. Then, um, so so I wasn't allowed to have one until I could afford to buy one for myself, and then I bought which if you know anything about horses is a ridiculous thing to do, an ex-race horse as my first horse. Now I've been riding for, I don't know, I was 17 at the time, so I've been riding for a lot of my life and I thought I knew it all because I was 17. And um, bought this horse and uh, realised I knew absolutely nothing. And then when I was 19, she kicked me in the face and nearly (sighs) killed me. And she kicked me here, but also here. I've got a tiny little scar there. And they, um, the doctor said to me, because I was paralyzed for five days and they didn't know whether that was, they, they thought it was just swelling to the spinal cord, which fortunately it was. But of course, 19 years old, can't move anything, can barely talk, move your face. I could move my head and that was it. And I could sit up or be sat up and stay there. Um, and then the doctor said to me, whatever it was you were going to do with your life, get on and do it because you nearly didn't have one. Now, at the time, I was wild. Probably had three or four men on the go at a time, drinking all the time. You know, I used to go to school drunk, you know, when I was a kid. I was just completely off the rails. I never did drugs because it just wasn't of any interest to me. 
um, my sister did. But, you know, it, it just, I, I'm a control freak as well, or I was. And I was like, there's not a chance I'm taking drugs because I'll, I'll be completely out of control. Yeah, funnily enough, I was probably never in control when I was drunk either. But those two <laughs> things didn't go together. Um, the yeah. Being drunk meant that I couldn't really feel anything, couldn't think about anything. Um was very much bordering on the, you know, being an addict of, I used to have a gambling addiction as well. And, you know, it was, it was just, I was just so off the rails. It was ridiculous. And yet managed to buy my first house when I was 23, I think. Started running my own business when I was 19. Uh, Second house when I was 26, I think. I could do all this stuff, you know, and I could, I could kind of operate um but being kicked in the face made me realize that we we have no idea what we're doing with horses Hmm. and that actually i brought that on myself you know and everybody was like shoot the horse blame the horse you know fortunately my father had moved to spain by then otherwise he would have shot the horse i can assure you (laughs) so um but all i could see was this poor horse who was who was you know she was going off ahead is the only way i can describe it because she was she was traumatized by the way i was looking after her and all i was doing was doing what i'd been taught i didn't know anything else i was i was a bit of a sponge for for learning and if somebody said do this i'd be like yeah okay that must be the right thing to do and do it and i did, i never questioned anything did not question anything when i was a kid which shocks me now considering who i've become and um and I, it started me on this journey of I need to understand this horse because I can't sell her because something will happen to her. She'll die. And it's my responsibility. You know, this this horse, I don't know, this might not mean anything to you guys, but she was sold to me as a seven-year-old. And it actually turned out that she was three and nobody had ever sat on her before. And yet I got on her, rode her down the road like, you know, she should know what she was doing and all the rest of it. And bless that horse's heart she did it for seven days without question and then suddenly went okay i'm done i just don't get this anymore and i can't cope and and she turned tail in three lanes of traffic because that's how ignorant and stupid i was that i was riding her out on that kind of in that kind of environment and um and she headed back into the oncoming traffic flew around a corner and chucked me off and i was like okay this isn't what horses are supposed to be about. <laughs> like, what happened? And uh, yeah, we just went on this massive journey. And um, and I, to this day, so so this the centre that I want to, I've, I've got massive dreams of uh, what it is that I want to do. And I want, want to create a centre called Siltwood Centre. And uh, she was called Siltwood. And it is all about her. My entire life has been mm. about her, about understanding you know, why these poor animals become so dangerous, become so unruly, become naughty, as we call them, which is completely wrong. And um, But also that put me on this journey of understanding myself as well. And um, and I think, and, and like I say, with having been kicked in the face, I just made a decision that I had to go after what I wanted. And what I wanted was to work with horses. And again, very controlling father the very first job i ever got with horses i he he used to be a butcher and i called in at his shop on the way home from the second day i've been at this job 
And he was like, what on earth have you been doing? Because I was filthy because I cannot stay clean to save my life. <laughs> and he said, uh, he said, I'm not having any child of mine becoming somebody else's slave. He said, if you want a horse, then um, you get a decent job so you can afford to buy a horse. You do not become a slave. But now I had worked so hard to get this job because it was a really good riding school. And it was in the days of YTS, which you guys wouldn't remember because you're far too young. But to get on these training schemes was really hard. And uh, and I'd, I'd managed to do it. And I was really proud of myself. And he phoned them up there. And then he said, I'm just letting you know that she won't be back again. And I'm sending a mother to collect all the stuff. And that was it. My job with horses. And I, 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 was, I was like, now, me being me now, I'd have grabbed that phone off him and said, just don't listen to him. He's an idiot. <laughs> I've gone back the next day, but I was so, so scared of my parents. Really, mm. truly terrified of both of them. I would never, ever go up against them. And um, yeah, so I walked away from horses, and you know, and I was, I didn't have one then. Um, and then I, it just, they just kept calling me back and calling me back, and I was like, no, I'm going to follow what I want to do. I am not being told this is what I should do with my life. And it was, I think that was when the the separation came. You know, it's, I really, I mean, and like I say, my dad moved to Spain when I was um, 18, I believe on my 18th birthday or around then. Um, so, so he distanced himself and I was like, that's, that's a better place for me because I'm, I'm not constantly living in fear of him coming after me for something or other. And then I, I left home. So I managed to remove myself from my parents and it gave me that headspace to be able to discover who I was. And um, and I've always been far too grown up for my age. You know, there's there's a photograph of yeah. me when I was 12 and I... I it sounds take... like those, you got help from the, from the universe a few times. Oh, absolutely. Massively. Can, can, I, can I just pause and say one thing as well? Um, just to, if this is right, right, like it sounds like these experiences that you've had in your life when you were 19 with getting kicked in the face with the horse and um, with the bus uh, situation and Justin, it sounds like those experiences for you, you had contacted death in a way. Mm-hmm. Like that Definitely. Death, like you were about to potentially die, right? And the, at the hospital, they like said like you, you could die, so you, you got to kind of start doing what do you want to do in your life and go after that? It sounds like that had a huge impact on you then taking action towards do, like changing and understanding yourself and mm. like going, like be, um, following the dream with horses, for example. Is absolutely. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and it's never stopped. It, it didn't, it didn't just become one of those things that um, you kind of forget about. It structured my life really. Mm. Is that, like struck you to your core. Like yeah, absolutely, and you, and also it makes you it makes you say to yourself, "So what do I want out of life?" You know, it's like when somebody says something to you like that. Where am I going? What am I doing? And it and it took me a long time, you know, to to be strong enough because I was a. It's really hard to say this because, I think over time, you forget just how weak you yeah, were. Yeah, you do. It's funny. You, do, you know, and, and I never, ever look back on my childhood away from my family thinking that I was a weak person. But whenever I was with them, I was 
incredibly weak. I would I would not stand up for myself for anything. You know, my my mother was aggressive is the best way to describe her. No, that's being a bit nice. But but it was I was I was just terrified. You know, and, and only probably about three years ago, she said to me, All I remember about mealtimes when you were a child is you just sitting there in total silence with your head down just eating your food. And that's because there would be a fight at the dinner table every single night between her and my, my sister. And and I, my life was just terrifying. Home was terrifying. And that's all I remember about it. And I remember from being about 11 years old, I was I was incredibly lonely as a child. I had like really good friends that I would go out and play with and stuff like that. But I, I felt I felt as though I was in a place I didn't belong, to be honest, and that I you know, wasn't wanted as such. But my mother used to call me the angel and my sister the devil. So what kind of relationship was I ever going to have with my sister when, you know, you're taught the devil is evil, the devil is dangerous, you know? It's interesting when you say, like, uh, one thing that I'm thinking about is when you say, like, that, you know, home wasn't safe and mm-hmm. uh, your other environments weren't really safe either. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting because for a con- when a conscious person comes into the world, and especially the time you were born, but also the times that of my me and Jonathan's generation, things are getting a little bit better now in with the West. But when you're a conscious person, the world isn't really safe because other people aren't conscious. So they don't understand that if they are, if they do physical things to hurt you, if they do uh, psychological things to hurt you, they don't understand that they're hurting you because they're most of the time, either they, that part of them has been numbed or they don't have that part. So for a, for a conscious person, like the home can be unsafe, but school, like, Schools in Denmark were super unsafe. Like yeah. even physical violence was very prevalent in like uh, in like the smaller cities, um, and the psychological environment was very unsafe. Mm. So I think one thing, for example, one thing that really defined my childhood was just feeling unsafe, and it took me many years to to arrive in a place where I could actually feel safe uh, in myself and among other people, and so on. And I think it's a big thing for conscious people because because unconscious people are really really unsafe mm. because they they don't they don't they don't really yet have empathy they don't really have empathy yet and when a person doesn't have empathy they just don't know what they're doing to to people who do I think I think it's fair to say actually that I I didn't have empathy and wasn't a conscious person either because I was very reactive you know I remember all I, the role models I had were very unconscious, very aggressive, you know, and and when things happened to me that scared me, and to this day, I will still revert back to that. When fear kicks in, like, you know, the kind of fear that happens instantly, the aggression will show up. That is the first thing that happens to me. And I have to breathe and bring myself back down to who I am to be able to deal with that. Um, so, so. Who are you, Lorraine? Who am I? That is an interesting question. Who am I? I 
just me. Well, you said you've got to breathe and, and bring yourself down to who, who you are. So, so me is very conscious of how I behave, how I show up, how I treat other people, um, how I affect other people. Um, I, I still have a lot of work to do on that. I genuinely believe that. You know, there's, I am not always the best person that I can be. Um, there are times when something or somebody will trigger me and I am ashamed to be me. I don't want to be that person that, you know, reacts negatively and, and gets really quite cross. Um, and, and the me is somebody who has a very, very deep understanding of how we show up in the world and how other and all and also how you know so when people when other people do things mm -hmm. to me or to others around me the first thing i will do is then go to okay so where is that coming from for them you know okay. it's, it's like yeah. that's not them you know that's not that's a reaction you know what i mean because i know them much more deeply than that mm. and um um, and, you, and you know, you're, and you're aware in yourself on that level to see that in the other person that mm. that the place they're coming from is a reaction. It's not yeah. them on a deeper level. Yeah, and, and if, it, yeah, yeah, because because I think that what we are born with, who we are born as, gets knocked about so badly throughout life. I think if we if we could all be the five-year-old kid who believed that you know anything was possible and and that we were happy most of the time or just blissfully ignorant or whatever and you know then then actually we would become incredible people if we if we were allowed to be everything that we are supposed to be but equally so it's our life experiences that make us who we are you know so 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 I think there has to be a base element, if you get what I mean. It's like it's like the true core of you is is maybe how you come into this earth or onto this earth. And then everything else around you is it's the layers and layers that are collected, if you like, throughout the years that deepen. Yeah, like residue almost of the past. Yeah, and and but also like um, like rings of a tree. You know the the rings the the layers of a tree as uh, the the growth rings give it strength. You know they give it direction. They give it resilience. And I feel that's what those layers are. You know, every time somebody throws something at you, it strength. You know that saying, "What doesn't kill you makes you makes you stronger." I have a it's few. It's funny because I I kind of experienced the opposite of that actually okay you know there's a famous batman quote where the joker says everything that doesn't kill you just makes you stranger and that's kind of that i think that's a little more accurate but i think that uh <laughs> usually what, what usually what i see in people is that uh the thing is what happened in the past usually for example if we have a traumatic event with one person then that can leave a, a huge impression on us. Now, the problem is what, what, what our mind does is it says everyone is like this one person. 
So if we are mistreated by a a male kid, for example, mm-hmm. we may for the rest of our lives look at men in a certain way through certain emotions, mm-hmm. or for or we if it happens uh, through a, a female kid, or whatever. And so actually, the things that don't kill us they really mess us up psychologically. So when you, want, when you I want to know what Jonathan's take is on that. What do you think? So when you, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll t- ask him afterwards. So when you describe the rings of the tree as something that makes us grow, um, I think there's a truth to that, but I also think that we kind of have to, we have to process the pain of it to actually grow so that the wisdom is left, but the pain is gone. Because I see a lot of people who, for me, usually, people don't seem to get older because they their bodies get older, whatever. They seem to get older because they get layers and layers and layers of these sad ideas of what life is like and people are like. And they get so burdened with all these terrible things that happened. And sometimes when I talk to them, I can't, I, they don't want to let go of it. They don't want to be free. So they just kind of get older and older and older. Because psychologically, their psyche is filled up with bad things. And in the end, it's just, it's, they're just kind of filled with this, all these bad things that happened and they can't really see the sky anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think the rings of the tree, I think there's truth to that, but I also think it has to be purified because otherwise we, we drag the, the past around like a huge cart full of crap that can weigh us down so much and can really, really hinder our lives because we'll, we use so much energy just drawing, just going forward this card can take so much of our energy and mood. Um, but yeah, Jonathan, what is your perspective on all this? Does it does it kill you or does it make you stranger? I love that expression. <laughs> <laughs> What is my take? Um, What's it like for you, yeah? The past. Yeah, so, so pain. Does, it, does it make you stronger or does it make you stranger? You see, I think the stranger is an interesting thing because that's that you then have to define what is strange. Not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can see the I can see the the um, the tree metaphor, and uh, yeah, I'm a visual person, so that's easy to see that. Um, I kind of see it as like, you know, yeah, you, you, you're born with this pureness, I guess, or this pure nature of you as a human being without any, any layers, really. I mean, or any fears or any reactions, more or less. Um, and yeah, I can see that, the, like, then we get layers and, and that, that can be a way of strengthening us uh then there's this other part of me that's like you know well you know we get all these layers or masks i i i I like the word of using Mm. masks right um and the masks make it harder to see right because the more masks we put on the harder it is to get into this pure true nature this pure um true self that you talk of like the core you um, because the, there is the, all, all these layers, all these masks that are um, 
put on from from our childhood or from different things that we we construct and then we see our reality through this and so my my take on it is actually that we get to a point where we start to go okay i've got these layers can i now kind of start to become aware of them and can i go backwards in or backwards go more deeper into ourself to let this true nature this pure self that you this there within you within all of us all along to to breathe and to to see the world through that lens um and that's how i how i see that is like it's a it's a so it's like kind of growing and then going back inside you and then coming from that from that place and um yeah that's my that's my take i think the i think the the analogy of the mask is actually possibly a different a different thing that um yes it's definitely part of that's what happens to you as you as you build and grow but i think that's the that's more the protective layers you say you say i say this because i'm not very good at the mask i've always been fairly outspoken i guess not not in a necessarily rude way but as in a very little filter way which used to get me in trouble all the time as a kid um but i didn't really understand the point or maybe just didn't even find it possible to be and think anything that i was supposed to think you know what i mean it's like it it didn't make sense to me and i think that was possibly to do with my mother to be fair because she was she still is very much like that she doesn't do anything that she's supposed to do you know what i mean she's she's um so for example when me and my sister had boyfriends when we were teenagers she was like and what mother would say this to their child don't get stuck with one bloke at that age you just want to go and like you know play the field and and find find out what it's like to be with different men and stuff and i was like i was 15 when she first said that to me which fact, which isn't really a bad advice normally but your mother was doing it in a bad way in her yeah her because, because her you know i mean the guy that i was with was lovely and my sister has actually ended up get ended up marrying the guy that she was with because my mother broke both of us up you know it's like she wouldn't let me be with with the guy i was with and you know she made it really difficult for my sister to be with her bloke as well so but it was but that's but that was exactly her that that was the way she lived her life she went from one affair to the next you know and she was basically teaching us to do the same and so so that that you know putting on that mask i suppose and i and to this day i hate false people and i can see right through them Lorraine, there's there's one thing I want to circle back to, which which is a connection I find interesting. And I want your input on. So we talked about how we believe we choose our parents and mm-hmm. maybe major life events and stuff like that. And I I like that idea as well. I don't know if it's true, but I it's probably true. And then we talked about that there's a need to get away from certain family members, from certain people, because their their presence is overwhelming in a negative way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an interesting I think that's an interesting point here because I think to walk the conscious path, sometimes you have to recognize that you need some distance from things that trigger you so that you can actually have the time and space to 
become more conscious and not being triggered all the time. Mm-hmm. However, the interesting thing is often as we we grow in consciousness, we then um, in through some people or through some events, we we end up going back in those situations that trigger us in some kind of way. Because usually there's something in that sit. For example, if uh, we may not go back to our parents, but maybe we we go back to someone that reminds us of them, because there were actually qualities in our parents that we did like, and um, it may be in our interest to release some of that trauma that we had because of them. Mm. So, you know, in every old story, the wise man goes away from the, or even the hero goes uh, goes out from the from the ordinary, goes into the extraordinary, and then comes back to the ordinary to, to teach what they have learned, right? The wise man goes to the mountain and comes back to teach wisdom. So what I want to ask you about is something, I don't have the answer to this, but it's something I find interesting. Um, do you think that part of the path is, you know, you, 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 you get some distance from these people, then you become more and more conscious, and then maybe one day you go back in a sense um, both to maybe purify yourself or maybe just to give them um, some of that consciousness that you now have. And because now your, your consciousness is no longer going to be overwhelmed by, by their presence in your life. Like a so, sort of out, out and back again. What, what do you think? So the reason that's making me laugh is because... <laughs> because we chose so, them ourselves right that's that's yes, yeah and and so not long after i no actually yeah not long after i chose to remove my parents from my life i very much invited somebody into my life who i i knew this guy as a child he is my lodger um we connected again probably 8 or 9 years ago and the same affinity was still there and stuff like that. And this, what I was talking about earlier about how you know somebody from the core of you, uh, for, sorry, from the core of who they were when they were a kid. I think he was probably about 17 when I last saw him until 30 odd years later or whatever. He had become the biggest narcissist I have ever met in my life right now. That is what my parents are. <laughs> no, I never realized because he was so angry and he was so the world was was had done all kinds of things to him and very immature in his outlook just just basically mad with the world but i knew who he was so i chose to keep you know giving him <laughs> chances and we he and the I, devil you know well well one of the reasons that this happened as well is because when my horse broke my jaw it was his um relations yard that we were on and he was the only person that would look after my horse for me and it was him that i actually owe my life to horses with because when i came out of hospital i could not get anywhere near this horse and it was him who said to me it's okay i'll just walk around the yard with you we'll get your confidence back within a couple of weeks i was back riding her if i he hadn't done that i do not know what i'd have done i could not walk within two inches of this horse without having an absolute meltdown So in my head, I owed him big time because my life has been entirely about horses. So, so of course, when I could see all this trauma in him and all this anger, and I really, really felt I could help him and wanted to. So, however, I discovered 
and this has happened to me this happened to me with my husband as well is that having been brought up by people who convince you that everything that they say is true and you do not question it that right. can happen to me over and over again and that is exactly what Simon did to me he convinced me that him so he so he lived back up in uh, Derbyshire moved down here to Cornwall with me and because he is an amazing horseman and I always knew he was but it was so that he could be with the horses and he convinced me that it would be the best thing ever that he was going to do all these things he was going to change everything in my life and or all this kind of thing familiar story because that's exactly what my husband told me and um and I believed it <laughs> and uh and then once he'd moved down here it turned out to be almost the opposite he he treated me so badly it was horrendous and I remember saying to one of my friends I should just ask him to move out but I know that he's been sent here to teach me how to deal with narcissists and she said to me, there's only one way to deal with narcissists and that's to get them out of your life. And I yep. said, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't agree. <laughs> I said, because because he wasn't like that when he was a kid. Life has made him like, he was the kindest, caring, most caring, sweetest lad. He was lovely. And I was like, I said, it's life that does this to people. And I think that he is worth spending the time with. And lo and behold, and uh, we've had some tough times. You know, we've had discussions, arguments. I've come close to kicking him out a few times when I just couldn't hack it any longer. But, oh, my God, has he taught me. You know, because... because what has he taught you? He's taught me how to deal with a narcissist. He's taught me how to deal with people who are going to just use you and take from you and refuse to give. And, and he's taught me how to help people like that. You know, because he has changed. You know, there's there's no two ways about it. He's now ca kind, caring. He bought his own horse in November. She has been the making of him. And one of the conversations we have frequently is why why can't you treat women the way you treat that horse? Because she is mm. a female horse. And he and every time I say it to him, I know it's cut into the core. But the look on his face, the disrespect he has for women is horrendous and you can see it all over his face and every time I say to him if you treated women the way you treated that horse they will be falling at your feet and it makes him feel physically sick you can see it on his face to think that he would lower himself to treat a woman that way because well I know what happened to him basically his mother abandoned him and he's never got over it I think, um, I think you're bringing up some really interesting things here and the first thing I'm thinking of is the Something that can be hard to to stomach is that people aren't all bad. No, and absolutely. It, and it doesn't matter who they are, what they've done to people. Mm -hmm. No one, no one is just all bad. Like you might want to hate someone, you might have a good reason to, but that person is going to be good for someone or mm -hmm. to something. They, mm -hmm. And that's and that can be difficult uh, sometimes. Mm -hmm. But, but to, I think I think this is why it's worth spending the time. It's worth. You know, and this this is one of my reasons for um, because you're you're a therapist as well, aren't you, Jonathan? Is that yeah, right? yeah? Because one of the reasons that I've never gone down the therapy route is because even though I know that I can help people and I can help people through horses more specifically, um, it takes time. 
and it yeah. doesn't take time that you can clock up and say, pay me this much. Because for me, I don't think any amount of money would ever make me want to help people in that way. Yeah. You know, as far as I'm concerned, I need money to be able to survive. I need money to be able to feed everything. You know, I have 10 horses and five dogs who are relying on me. You know, that is my, that's what I need money for. Anything else, I was put on this earth to help people, to help horses, to help people. And however it is that I show up to do that, I can't, I can't put the two things together. I can't put money and helping somebody in the same box hmm. in terms of therapy. I can help people by providing a space for them to be in, which is what uh, me and Torbian talked about. Uh, is, is, that, you know, is that we, what you do, Because right? I'm unfamiliar yeah, so, with that. So, get get so, an idea of what, what it is that you do. So you give, you give space and people stay with you and you kind of help them in, the, in their path. So... So my my way of helping people is very inadvertently. So I uh, do equine facilitated learning, which is basically where you introduce people to horses and they discover something about themselves is the easiest way to describe that part of what I do. But the main my main business is I run camps for people with their own horses and they come along with their horse expecting to, you know, they're just going to learn about, a bit more about their horse or about you know how to ride their horse better over the nine years we've been doing it what they've actually learned is who they are as people who they are as in relation to their horses how to connect with people who are on the same level i mean the friendships that have been formed within these camps this have then helped them to grow is you know they're just phenomenal and and it's just and and they they talk on a different level because when we go to camp it's like our own little world you know nobody can touch us kind of thing and you know and and everybody's very uh, so so we have a very strict rule of no judgment at camp so i don't care where anybody's at on their journey of horsemanship it's irrelevant nobody's allowed to say anything bad about anybody else because the horse world is very very bitchy so we created this safe space for a start and then and then we help them to so our instructors are very carefully chosen as well because they teach they teach our riders about the relationship with them and the horse it's not it's not about the sport it's not about how high you can jump how fast you can go it's about how can we do this in a way that your horse will respond to best now that is the power of horses because if you can learn to do that with a horse, because they're, they, they're non-verbal, you can do that with any human being. And that's what happens. It changes their relationships. And, and, it, and it's this connection. I mean, the people that I've connected with through camp and also through my lessons, I'm, I'm a, a riding instructor as well. You know, I can see their lives changing before them. I can see their relationships changing before them. And it is because of this space that, just creates a um it's a place to grow it's not a place to reflect on oh my god my life is so bad it's not about therapy it's about where you go after therapy it's about you know this is the the person i can be when i'm at my best not the person 
who feels really bad about myself because of all the shit that's happened to me in the past. And that, one thing, uh, that is one thing I was talking to, to Jonathan about was that we actually could, that we were going to talk to you about these camps because they, they could give us a lot of uh, inspiration to what we want to do, which is do the same kind of camps, but with people. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're coming up on the end of the first episode here. We've almost done an hour, but I think we're going to have to do one more. And then we can sort of uh, go into the the process uh, on the camps and all this stuff. But um, I think we're going to have to uh, cut it here for the first episode. Does anyone have anything? So is this like part one or two or something? <laughs> I think it will have to or be because or I, four or who knows? <laughs> I, want, I definitely want to go into this camp thing and we just open up that, but we don't have time for it now. So we're just going to kind of uh, fade this out. Is there anything that anyone has anything closing to say? Then we'll say that and then we'll we'll... We'll stop here for part one. I'm just uh, very curious to know about these camps now. So, <laughs> if, and if you're listening into this uh, this this far in the episode, then keep keep listening to the next uh, to to see about to hear about the the camps and it sounds it sounds like a truly powerful and moving thing for the people that come to these camps for you and like what changes or shifts in their life, the growth and the yeah. So, um, yeah. Thanks for coming on board, Lorraine, and uh, sharing your story, sharing your your uh, a piece of your life with us and, uh, and yeah. all the people listening in today. It's been um. No, it's a pleasure, and uh, thank you for asking me actually, because this is something that um, a few months back a friend of mine said you need to you need to find your voice. You need to find a platform for your voice because the mm. stuff that you talk about is the stuff that changes people. And um, um, I don't, I don't mean that to sound egotistical, but I've got so much evidence that that is possible. Yeah. That I guess it must be true. So, so thank and you. We're, and we're about to get into that in the next episode. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you. All right. So yeah, thank you a lot, Lorraine, and uh, we will be right back unfortunately due to technical difficulties part two was not recorded properly but we'll be asking lorraine back to tell us more about her camps in a future episode if you or someone you know would like to be a conscious guest on our podcast then you can drop a comment on our youtube on episode 15 this episode or you can write an email to us at theconsciouscaravan at gmail.com Once again, thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you on the trail. You've been listening to The Conscious Caravan with Jonathan and Torbjörn. And if you are looking for help to live a more conscious life, you can reach out to one of us for a free therapy session where we can help you get from where you are now to where you want to be.